What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Progressive Podcast. And today I'm joined by Ruth. Um, Ruth, do you want to talk about yourself and where you're from and give yourself a wee bit of an introduction? Yeah, perfect. Uh, my name's Ruth. I am from Solihull in England. Um, I am a physiotherapist by profession, um, but also currently working as a strength and conditioning coach, CrossFit coach, um, and I'm running my own company, uh, which works with uh, athletes struggling with injuries. And how long have you been a physiotherapist and then how long have you sort of moved into the strength and conditioning side of things? So I've been a physiotherapist for seven years now. Um, I have worked for, so I've worked within the adult setting for a couple of years and then for the last five years I've specialised in paediatric and so working with children. Um, But over the last year I've taken a little break from that um, and have now been working a little more with um, privately and with athletes and uh, people who are interested in exercise but have maybe got an injury and some even that don't have injuries that are just looking to develop themselves from a strength and conditioning side. So I've really been delving into that more so over the last 12 months. Very good. And whereabouts did you study at for university? Um, I did my undergraduate degree, so I did an undergraduate degree in sports science and physiology, and I did that at the University of Wales in Bangor, and then I moved to do my master's degree in physiotherapy at the University of Birmingham, which is kind of why I've become stuck in the Midlands at the moment. I oh, yeah, just moved sort of there after, after university? That's right, yeah, and I've been here right. ever since. Very good. And um, so you said there that you're into um, the sort of strength and conditioning side of things and yeah. sort of moved there. Have you always been like a sporty person or like a not even a sporty person, but say like a fitness sort of person? You know, have you always done that? Or because a lot of people think, you know, physiotherapists is mainly a sort of sports thing. But there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of physios. It's probably more. There's more physios in the non-sports side of things than there is in actual sports. So. Have you always been a sort of health person or a fitness person yourself? Yeah, so I grew up in a quite competitive family. Both my parents are competitive sailors um, and my brother and sister are both really into sports. Um, So growing up in that environment, it's always kind of pushed me in the way of being an active child and then going through as an adult. I've been in lots of sports, so I've done competitive swimming, running, gymnastics, hockey, bit of cycling, just a bit of everything really. And I think that's how I've almost come full circle from working as a physio with lots of different, uh, within the NHS in lots of different settings. I've kind of come to realise that my passion really lies within um, sports and um, not so much within the medical side of physiotherapy. Um, Although I do definitely enjoy that, I think, more so at this point in my life, I'm definitely more interested in the sports side of things. Yeah, and maybe later on you go back to the medical side or something. If it, you know, if you if you if you feel like it later on, maybe or yeah, I think so. I I really had such a fantastic five years at a children's hospital in the Midlands, and I, I learned so much, and I had an amazing team, and really really enjoyed working there. So I think. I'll probably end up back that way at some point. Um, but at the moment, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing on my own and 
I'm sure time will tell what will happen. You never know. I think people don't quite realize how much is in physiotherapy, so they don't quite realize uh, all the different areas that you do have the option to work within. So it's quite a diverse career to take, and I'm enjoying finding out bits of every area, I guess. Yeah, definitely, I would agree with you there. A lot of people don't really realize that there's even a respiratory side or, you know, there's lots. I would yeah. say the most common thing people think is that, you know, any anyone who's a physio is a sports physio, I would say, or there may be a physio, you know, unless they've been to physio beforehand, you know, um, most people think, that, you know, you just sort of like rub legs or stuff like that, you know, that's sort of, I think, the, you know, the... the I suppose stereotype maybe associated with the with the profession. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I used to work on in intensive care at the children's hospital, and I would be on call overnight, so I would be working as a respiratory physio, and my friends couldn't get like they just could not understand why I would need to go and massage someone in the middle of the night. <laughs> And they, no matter how many times I explained that it was actually to do with the ventilators and their breathing, they just couldn't understand that that's what my job could entail. So, yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, definitely. I would 100% agree with you there. And so you said that your your family was quite competitive then. Previously, there you were just talking, saying that your family is competitive and you did lots of, was it cycling and swimming, did you say? Uh, yeah, a bit of everything really growing up, but but running cross-country was mainly what I was doing. Uh, swimming, cycling, gymnastics, trampolining, quite, probably competed in most sports available, um, but never kind of quite found what I was looking to do or get really involved into until I came across CrossFit Um a few years ago and and I've kind of stuck with that ever since and really it's it's a bit of an amalgamation of lots of different sports put together so it's a great way for me to put all of that into practice and uh what how did you come across CrossFit um I lived with so with my first job I went to work in Wolverhampton and I lived with a guy there who did CrossFit and he just introduced me to it um, and actually, there was a gym in in Wolverhampton that did CrossFit. Um, and so I just dropped in there, had a little look. It was a bit scary when I first got there. But, um, yeah, I absolutely fell in love with it from the word go, really, and, and kind of went from there. Yeah. And then, and so you were telling me just before we came on about um, uh, that you were doing, you know, cycling for uh, charities and different things like that. And you had an uh, accident. That's right. Um, so do you want to just talk about it and, and t- uh, sort of explain to everyone listening what actually happened to you, what you were doing, who you were cycling for, and the whole length and of the, of the story? Yeah, so um, September 2017, I was sat in the staff room. I was working at the children's hospital at the time. And uh, one of the girls sat there, knew I did a bit of CrossFit, knew I, I was into my fitness, and she said, someone's pulled out of the 100-mile bike ride next week. Uh, do you fancy taking the place? And it was a bit of a joke, I think, at first, but I actually just had – so my partner was doing the Velo, so it's a big race, 100-mile bike ride race in Birmingham, the Velo. Um, my partner was doing that. And so I'd been out cycling quite a bit over the summer 
And I said, Do you know what? Why not? So I signed up for it and it was the week after. So we went out that weekend on a training ride, um, planned to do 75 miles. Uh, and uh, around 50 miles, I was cycling ahead of my partner down a hill and a car pulled out um, from a side road onto the main road that I was on and um, caused the crash. Um, and then I don't really have any memory of what happened over the next few hours. I vaguely remember being in an ambulance and I guess a few days of uh, the first few days in hospital, I remember little bits of it, but not much. Um, so from the crash, I had a small bleed on my brain. I had some uh, neck injury, jaw injury. I dislocated my sternoclavicular joint, which I'm sure you'll know is the um, joint which attaches my shoulder to the rest of my body, basically. Um, broke some ribs, fractured my foot. And I had quite a few nice cuts and bruises all over me. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the details of it. Um, after that... Like you, were, you, were, you, were, you took quite a hit. Um, you know, it left you quite in a bad way. I believe so. It, was, it wasn't the nicest of ends to the 50 miles that I'd put in on the day. Um, but, yeah, uh, I got told by the consultants that I was really lucky to be alive, actually. Um, I think I'd taken a, a lot of the impact had gone through my head and the shoulder on the left side. And so uh, obviously your neck and your shoulder and your head taking the impact, that could be ca quite catastrophic. So I was quite lucky in that way, yeah. I did. Suppose you said as well there that you were, you were going downhill, so you probably were going you know, quite a fast speed. Yeah, I imagine I was at the time. Um, yeah, but, uh, I mean, there's lots of good things that have came out of being in the accident. So um, when I actually came out of hospital, I had physio myself and occupational therapy at home. Um, and I've had a really good support team after um, the accident as well so over the last it's almost three years since now um, but over the last three years I've had a really good team uh, and some really good support so I've I've come through the other side of it I think. And, and you said there that the doctors had said you were lucky to be alive have they said anything else about your injuries or like any long-term impact that they might have had? Um, yeah so I kept, when I had the injuries I spent six months off work after the accident and then another six months trying to get back to work through a phased return. Um, I had a shoulder injury, so my sternoclavicular injury wasn't fixable um, unless I had quite a complex surgery on there, uh, which I've actually just had in December. So um, they they weren't entirely sure about the long-term impacts of the accident, but just that like the main focus of the first few days in hospital was just to get me stable and make sure that I was um, doing all right from a head injury point of view. Um, I had some seizures after the accident, so they were just making sure from that point of view that I was all stable um, and then kind of deal with the breaks and the scratches and the scrapes afterwards. 
Uh, yeah, prioritizing things first in, in order, I suppose. That's right. Um, and um, what about then? So obviously you were a very active person um, beforehand. You know, as you said there, you were, you know, you were 50 miles into that bike ride. And, you know, most people that's, you know, that's heavy going. Um, and what about after then? Was there anything around it that they said, oh, you can't do this or you have to avoid, you know, obviously you couldn't maybe cycle or you couldn't do sort of what you were used to doing. Um, what, what was the sort of doctor's point of view on that then? Have they said anything to you about that? Yeah, so um, just before the accident, I'd been out to France to compete in the French Throwdown, which is quite a big uh, international CrossFit competition. And I had multiple competitions coming up. So obviously, like, all of that, those at the time were off the cards. And they said to me, I need to think about my hobbies and my sports uh, and even my occupation. So my whole life is quite an active lifestyle. I never really sit down. Uh, when I work, at the time I was working on intensive care and with children with brain injuries. So there was a lot of heavy work involved with that. Um, and in the gym, I would be training like seven, eight times a day, eight times a week, not a day. Um, <laughs> but all of that at the time needed to stop. And the consultants were quite real with me in the way that I needed to think about um, how I proceeded from here. Like my shoulder wasn't going to be fixed until I had a quite a risky surgery that they weren't keen to do unless I really needed to have it done. Um, and if I didn't have it done, there would be implications. I, I wouldn't be able to lift weights um, and my lifestyle wouldn't be able to be the same. So it was quite tough to manage that information in the start. It's probably tough to hear. It's probably tough to hear all that. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was really tricky to go from someone who was so active and really felt like I was progressing with CrossFit and uh, getting to a stage where I was really happy to be competing at quite a high level to go into being told, you know, stay in bed. And even if you go for a walk, then you need to go back to bed and rest after that. And it wasn't ideal to say the least, but um, I just started slow really to get back to um, any sort of sport. So I was, um, going out, doing little walks in the day. Sometimes um, I bought an assault bike. So I don't know if you know what's an assault bike. Like a, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just like it's like an arm and foot bike, but it's with a fan on it that makes resistance. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I bought one of those, put it in my living room, uh, bought a heart rate monitor because they told me not to raise up my blood pressure. Um, just with the head injury and the risk of like with the uh, I had quite severe concussion after the accident so with that you can risk um, something called secondary impact syndrome so I just had to be really careful with um, like not doing anything that's going to put me at risk of falling over and not raising my blood pressure too much um, so I was quite closely monitoring what I was doing I remember sitting on the assault bike for what seemed like about 100 rounds of one minute at this speed, one minute at this speed. Uh, it certainly wasn't the most exciting time of my life, but it gave me something just to focus on, just to, to know that I'm getting up to do something when the rest of my routine in my life had just kind of gone. Yeah, I suppose, as you said there, you had to go back to bed. And so this was the only thing you could focus on, was it? 
Yeah, so it was just little bits, little and often. You could go and do um, a little walk, and then I'd need to rest for quite some time, and then I maybe could go on the bike for 10 minutes, and then I'd rest for some more time. I really struggled a lot with fatigue um, for many months after the accident, um, but just doing something, you know, getting up and achieving something that day. I would write it on the whiteboard and then I'd tick it off once it was done. And and it was just a good way to start chipping away at getting back to me. And how, and, and how did you sort of, you know, what, what was there any sort of things that you had in your head that helped you deal with it? You know, or was, you know did you think to yourself, you know, like, because obviously, as you said there, um, you wouldn't be able to get back to any weight training or CrossFit style training without the surgery. Um, you know, how did you sort of cope with that in your head? Like, what is, was there any, I suppose, like t- tricks or tips that you had? You're like, well, I'm going to do this, and you know, you get what I'm saying. You know, what was the mentality that you had around, um, you know, trying to get back to where you were, trying to get back to your lifestyle? Yeah, I think being a physiotherapist myself gave me such a huge advantage to think about. Um, well, this is what they've told me, but they don't know me specifically. And I know in my head what the human body is capable of doing. And to just think if I can do this little bit today, tomorrow I'll be able to do a little bit more. And just kind of putting into practice everything that I've learned through my career and through my experiences. If it came to the point where that patient was me. And I had to think to myself, how am I going to get myself from the point where I am now to where I want to be? Um, So I started doing my own physio. I I had a physio privately as well. Um, And together we just kind of worked out a bit of a strengthening plan. Uh, I knew that without the surgery, I wasn't going to get back to everything I wanted to do. But I, I knew also that I could get back to a lot more than what I could do at the time. Um, so I guess just setting that long-term goal for me was I want to get as good as I possibly can. And if I can't manage with that, that kind of time where I get to where I'm, um, if I'm completely done every single thing that I can do to get to where I want to be and it's still not good enough, then I'll consider going for the surgery to fix the shoulder Um, But it might be that I get there and I'm completely happy with what I've achieved. So I just kind of went in with absolute determination from the word go, really. I knew that that wasn't going to be my life, wasn't going to be giving up. And it wasn't going to be like, I'm not going to have an active lifestyle anymore. It was always going to be, I'm going to get back to where I want to be. I just had to figure out how how to go about that. Yeah, how to get there. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, you know, as you said, there you wanted, uh, you know, you were you were you were doing CrossFit, you know, and a lot of um of CrossFit movements are sort of overhead exercises and uh, you know exercises where you have to lift your arm over your head, and um, so you're aiming to get back there. Were you able to before, as you said, you know, you said there you had the surgery in December just passed. Yeah. Were you able to raise your arm above your head, you know, before the surgery? You know, did you ever get to a point where, you know, you were able to go back to full sort of range of getting your arm above your head or? Yeah. Never. So I was able to um, get. So in the end, after lots and lots of rehab, so I did lots and lots of strengthening activities before I even tried to go do any sort of weightlifting. 
um, I um, got to the point where I could, for example, do a press above my head and I could even do handstand push-ups and ring muscle-ups. I could, <laughs> a I lot could, of people are listening to this probably right now thinking, oh my God, I can't even do a press-up, never mind a handstand press-up. <laughs> I could, uh, it wasn't what I was doing before or to the extent that I was doing before, but I could do most things. And that took so much work to get to that point. Um, but it caused a lot of pain to be doing anything really that I wanted to be doing. So uh, like being in, um, uh, so going through those motions and going and doing, for example, a clean and jerk where you bring the bar up and then you're pressing it above your head. After that, maybe for a week, I wouldn't be able to do anything clean and jerk wise or anything pressing wise because I would be in quite a lot of pain. And that's after doing everything that I felt like I could possibly do from a strength point of view. It just got to the point then where mechanically the fact that my sternum and clavicle were dislocating every time my arm was coming above my head. I actually then kind of digressed a bit because I wasn't able to um, carry on. You weren't able to progress. Yeah, Yeah. you weren't able to progress anymore, yeah. So, which which is kind of what led me to really make the decision that I was then getting pain every day from the joint and like I wasn't able to do heavy jobs at work. I was getting secondary problems with my back as a result of the um, adaptions that had happened with muscular imbalances, left side to right side. Um, So although I... Were you compensating? Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Just were you compensating for, you know, say the way you're saying there, like, oh, you started to get problems with your back. Were you compensating because you couldn't hold stuff in in this the way that you normally would or... Yeah, exactly. So I would be compensating with the right side. Um, to try and help the left side and it it got to the point where I was causing to try and live my day-to-day life and even uh, avoiding a lot of the movements that I would have previously been able to do I was really struggling to uh, manage with just lifting a patient up at work for example or um, like even opening the car door at that point after like it was because of how much the uh, sternum and the clavicle were dislocating it led to real uh, a lot of problems with the bone quality of the clavicle um so despite every single thing that I tried and I really did give it my best shot mechanically I just couldn't fix that until I had surgery so I made the decision to just go for the surgery despite the risks which is what I yeah, and just anyone listening, uh, the clavicle is your collarbone, in case anyone, you know, yeah. sort of wondering what's the clavicle. Yeah, so your collarbone um, is dislocating from the centre of your chest, basically. And then, so that's, that was giving you a lot of bother. And then the bone quality, as you said, was going down, and that's what made the decision to go for the, what helped you make a decision to go for the surgery. That's right. Ultimately, I just felt like I had done everything that I could to get back to where I wanted to be. And... Um, for a lot of people, I think that the um, quality of life that I had would have been enough. So they might not necessarily have wanted to uh, get back in the gym and press the body weight above their head. Or they might not necessarily have wanted to handstand walk across the gym. But for me, I knew that 
you know, having such a physical job and for at that point not being able to cycle because I couldn't put weight through it and not being able to go to the gym and not being able to really do what I wanted to do to really um, have lived the life that I wanted to live. I knew that it was worth the risk to take the risk to have the surgery. Yeah, and that's, that's a really, really good outset to have, I suppose. And it's a thing that applies to physiotherapists and to, I suppose, all healthcare professionals in a way, is that it's not just about maintaining life, it's about the quality of life as well. You know, so as you're, as you're saying there, you know, you wanted a higher quality of life, and so that's why you thought it was worth the risk to go and have the surgery. That's right. I think so. Yeah, and, and so as you were talking there before, you know, it was obviously a lot of work. You, get, you know, you were saying how much work you had to put in to get yourself. And I, I even I still, it's hard to even comprehend, you know, uh, you know, even for myself, it's hard to comprehend how much work you would have had to put in to do where you could do, you could get yourself into a handstand press-up or even, especially a ring muscle-up. Even You know, a ring muscle-up is really difficult you know with the amount of stability you need from your shoulder and all you know all the muscles surrounding it um you know how what was the well, you know with a dislocated um clavicle to your sternum you know with that uh, bone being dislocated what was the sort of level of determination you know what how, how what set your mind off with you know that you wanted to do that you know how did you create that mindset of nothing's going to stop me you know or what i think primarily like i am a stubborn person <laughs> So if I want to do something, I think if someone's told me that I can't do something in my head, I am going to do it with it until I've done every single thing that I possibly can to um, and not been able to do it. I'm not going to stop. So I'm going to give everything my all 100 percent to what I can. Um, I think that's probably the driving force, but also like. Having just worked with so many uh, amazing kids, so over the last five years being working in the children's hospital, like so many kids are, are, have something horrible happen to them in an accident or they're born with some life-limiting condition. And I see that every single day that I see these amazing children like um, just defy the odds and push through whatever and really surprise even myself as a physio really surprised me with their progress and I always think you you should never be limited by what someone tells you you can and can't do that if you feel that you can try to get through and do something and you've you've got a goal in mind you should go with that and everything you've got um just pursue that goal and if it doesn't work in the end then there's a point where you've got to realize that you know, you've gave everything you've got. But until you have, I think that's what kept me going the whole time is just thinking I haven't given everything yet. I haven't, I'm not going to give up and have the surgery until I have given everything. And I'm not just going to accept that that's my life now. So, yeah, I guess. I suppose, I suppose you strengthening, you know, the muscles and strengthening yourself back up to where, you know, to a point where, you you know, you were able to do sort of like handstand press-ups and muscle-ups. Um, was definitely probably beneficial going into the surgery. You know, you were sort of prepping your body. It's nearly like prehab, I suppose. You know, sometimes people would talk about, that we would talk about, you know, as prehab is like you're prepping your body for the surgery so that you'll be stronger when you come out. And, you know, as you're more likely to, I suppose, if it was risky, survive it. Yeah, exactly. When I first met with my consultant for the surgery, he 
said to me, I told him I have done everything I can to, to fix this and it's not getting any better. Um, and I explained the extent of what I tried to do. Um, and he was very much in agreement that, you know, I'm not going to, it's not going to mechanically get better because it's a dislocated joint and I can't fix it um, myself until the surgery happens. And I think it's just, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess a case of all the Never give up until you get what you want. <laughs> Pardon? Never give up until you get what you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Never give up. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's, very, it's very motivating, I suppose, for people listening, you know, to sort of think that you went from being told that, you know, you would have to maybe rethink your obviously rethink your fitness life, but also even rethink your job. And you sort of just decided not, you know, you're not going to do that. You're going to push yourself to the point where you get back and get to where you want to be. Yeah, I hope so. I, I kind of, I always think to myself, like I've been um, lucky enough to share this story in uh, Women's Health Magazine and also with you now. And with multiple clients and patients along the way. And I just feel that, you know, if I could get one person to see that when someone says to you, you can't do something, if they're like that, absolutely giving everything you've got, it doesn't necessarily mean that someone is right, that you can't do something. Maybe they don't know the determination that you've got, that you can push through and you can um, put that willpower into getting where you want to get to. Yeah, hopefully that definitely inspires someone maybe that's listening to, you know, that's maybe considering giving up on something that they're doing at the minute. That maybe, you know, inspires them to push on and really strive to get where they want to be and give give their all. As you said, that that's what you did. You know, you give everything you had um, and, and pushed yourself as much as you could. That's it. That's exactly it. So obviously it yeah. probably wasn't, um, wasn't as fortunate for you that you had your surgery in December and then you were planning on maybe getting back in the, the gym and CrossFit and all maybe in like February time and now the, the gyms have been closed. <laughs> yeah, the gyms have been closed. Um, actually, I have a home gym, so it's been really helpful. Um, even in lockdown, it's been great because uh, where I usually wouldn't have as much time to focus on my rehab, it's been perfect environment because there's been nothing else to do. So... Um, yeah, <laughs> that's actually worked out really well for me. Yeah, I suppose it's giving you plenty. It's good that you have a home gym. If you hadn't had a home gym, it maybe wouldn't have been as ideal. But that you've got a, a gym in the house, you know, you, you're able to basically focus on strengthening yourself, which is, you know, what more could you want? <laughs> I know exactly. And there's lots of, you know, you wouldn't uh, even as a physio, you know, these are the things I need to be doing. I'll write myself a plan and and think this is exactly the uh, way I need to go through it. But life gets in the way a lot of the time and and it's almost like it happened, not that lockdowns happened for me, but um, almost like in my life it's come as at a perfect time, the only time I really need that time to stop and really focus on rehabbing and strengthening. It, and it's come at a time when I've got nothing else really that I need to be doing. Yeah, yeah, you have all the time in the world. Yeah, you know, we've, we all have the, all the time in the world to get stuff done. And that was a big thing even that I was, you know, pushing myself or pushing on my social was that a lot of, I had seen that a lot of people, you know, were saying, oh, we'll take the time to relax, take the time to relax. But then what I was trying to get at was that sort of similar idea to you is, 
you know, um, this is the perfect time to get something done that you've always wanted to do, whether it's get yourself a bit healthier or a bit fitter or, you know, focus on or get something done that you've always wanted to do that you never had the time for. Exactly. This, you know, it was unlimited. It was basically unlimited time there for a while of, of all of, of, I suppose, me time or whatever, you know, whatever way you want to put it. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. It's been really good time for a lot of people focusing on their um, health and fitness particularly and people realizing that you don't always uh, need other people or a um, gym to get stuff done it is lovely being in a gym don't get me wrong but uh, a lot of people have been realizing that they can make do with maybe one kettlebell or one dumbbell and get a really good workout done in the garden, for example. And that's been great to see people being so motivated. Yeah, it is. It is great to see. And I suppose it's really bringing out the creative side of things, you know, of getting like a whole full body workout done with one single dumbbell, you know what I mean? Whereas you think sometimes, especially beforehand, you know, you would have went into a gym with 101 machines and you're thinking, geez, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> I've definitely done it before where I've walked into a gym and you're thinking, oh, what am I going to do today sort of thing, you know, maybe like you've done everything and yet with one dumbbell you were getting a full workout in. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly me. I mean, as a coach, for sure, for me, it's made me be the most creative that I've ever been I think like when people are coming to me with maybe they have one TheraBand and a old set of dumbbells that their granddad gave them and I've been able to program for them for four months through lockdown so I'm sure they're all looking forward to getting back to the gyms this weekend in England but um yeah it, uh, I, we, we've had that we've had the gyms open for about two weeks now so I'm sure you are all looking forward to getting back into the gyms then. Is it tomorrow it opens? The gyms yeah. open tomorrow? Yeah. The I'm sure you're very excited then to get the, get the gyms back open. That's right. Yeah, the countdown is definitely on there. Definitely. <laughs> um, well, Ruth, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, I think we've covered everything now that we were planning on talking about. Hopefully everyone has listened to today's podcast and sort of took something away from it, whether it be inspiration or motivation or a bit of drive to get something done that the boys wanted to do um, or even maybe it's kept them going on something that they were planning on giving up um, so uh, thanks so much Bruce for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure as I said thank you for having me um, thanks so much for listening everyone uh, this has been the Progressive Podcast and I will catch you all in the next one